podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of Play It Forward, the show where your pod syndicate hosts get together to discuss movies that are that they are not only recommending but gifting one another on iTunes. Uh, in each episode, we give the gift of entertainment to one of our co-hosts and outline why we picked that specific movie for them before handing over to them to find out what they thought of it. Uh, so the show is part of the Pod Syndicate Network, as you will have noticed. You're listening to this on the bonus feed, uh, which is the home of Beyond the Neon, Chinstroker vs. Punter, Entertainment Landfill, Film Bastards, his film, her movie, and the Iron Sequel. So if you like movies, TV, and pop culture, you'll find loads of great shows, articles, videos, and loads more besides over there at wearepodsyndicate.com. Or you can follow us on at Pod Syndicate on Twitter and get updates from all of those shows and more um, as new episodes pop up. Uh, for this show, as always, I am joined by my Pod Syndicate co-hosts, Mark Foster, Ian Loring, and John McGrath. Say hello, gents. Hello, hello. Uh, folks. Uh, and yeah, so before we start today, uh, just a, a little bit of housekeeping from our side. Uh, to Just to mention, this will sadly be my last episode of Play It Forward. Um, it's a show we've been doing for a surprisingly long time now. Um, and, and, you know, um, I've been part of since the start, initially myself and Mark and Ian, and then John coming back. And, it, and it's been great to be to be part of it. It is a really good concept, I think, and one uh, that I think works really well. Um, and one that I'm delighted to say will continue on uh, after today as well on the bonus uh, feed. So it will continue uh, with Ian, Mark and George at the helm um so yeah that's good just to explain why i'm sort of uh stepping back from the show um basically i've just got one too many things going on right now so i'm working on a uh 10 episode limited beyond the neon series that will leave behind the realm of of podcasts and and be video based so those are going to be you know similar to as the beyond the neon podcast was documentary based but they will be uh year by year sort of uh, a story from 1980 a story a story from 1981 82 83 etc uh, that's sort of the dark underbelly of 80s pop culture so i'm starting work on them and they're going to take quite a bit of work and quite a bit of time because i want to make them all and then put them out um so yeah so i'm going to be working on all of those in the coming months and uh getting those out when i can um outside of that i'm also doing uh for, for the pod syndicate youtube i'm doing these gundam builds which i'm really enjoying so i'm gonna be doing a load more of those uh there's the fan creator stuff uh there's gonna be a little bit more of that uh and you know general admin and, and looking after the pod syndicate site as well and also on top of that for podcasts um mark and i will be back with uh, with some tales from the tape back a bit further down the line as well so really this is kind of the one podcast that it doesn't need me it works it works very well with with ian mark and jordan so um so i'm just gonna step back from this and let them crack on um so yeah it, it will it will go ahead and i will uh, i'll just become a listener in the future um so yeah so that's a bit of housekeeping out of the way anyway um 
so just to move on to the actual show then uh as i say it's a show where we gift one another films and in this episode i have gifted mark um jordan has gifted ian mark has gifted me and ian has gifted jord uh and that's kind of the way we'll we'll do the rundown as well so it's the reason that i've um said it in that order um so as i just joked to everyone the one thing that i will not miss is trying to remember whose turn it is to gift who or who gifted who what because for some reason that causes me brain farts and i don't know why it's actually quite simple um so yeah before we get started anything else to add anyone i don't think so no okay no other other than we'll miss you well it's like it's it's a damn good show and you know it's just it's it's a shame to 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 step back from it and who knows maybe uh maybe i'll pop back for a gas spot sometime um yeah Ah, okay yeah so um so moving on then uh as i say we'll start with my gift to mark if that's all right um just to to mix things up a bit um so yeah my gift to mark for this episode um Mark is notoriously difficult to, to buy films for because he's seen most things. Um, but So I sort of trawled through. Uh, this is what I tend to do when I'm looking for things is I trawl back through my letterboxed and and old tweets that I've got from Film Run 365 and just try and remember films that I love and try and match them up with, uh, with whoever it is I'm buying for that week. Um, and I stumbled across a film I saw just over a year ago, actually, um, which is 2018's The Mule, uh, directed by Clint Eastwood. Um, and I've picked this one out because I think it's got, you know, Mark and I have a great love for um, The Shield and Sons of Anarchy. And I think Mark kind of likes films that are along those lines as well um films that are just sort of like dirty simple crime things with people getting in over over their head in situations um and i think that's exactly what this is um it is a very simple uh, very typically spare uh, for clint eastwood um both performance and uh film in terms of how it's directed uh and it is very focused just on his character getting in over his head with something and you know being forced into doing something that maybe he wouldn't have done on his own terms but he ends up doing and and is this all going to come crashing down around him and i think for that reason it 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 reminds me a little bit of the sort of you know the, the stuff that i used to enjoy about the shield for example that feeling of oh my god this is getting worse and it's then the shit's going to come down um so yeah, I thoroughly enjoyed it, um, just for its simplicity, for its storytelling, and just watching Clint Eastwood as this kind of hapless old man in in the middle of a of a potential shitstorm. Uh, and I figured Mark would do the same. So I'll hand over to Mark. Mark, what did you think of 2018's The Mule? Well, it was one of those ones where because Clint Eastwood he does. Um, so you know he's so regular with his films um, that it, it's it's almost quite hard to sort of to, to keep up a little bit um, and also as well I I think I, I've seen since he did uh, American Sniper I think I've the one I'd seen the other one I'd seen was Richard Jewell I've missed the other ones I've not got the Mule 
uh, to the mule. But it was one that I'd, I'd kind of been intrigued by, but it was one that I'd hovered over watching a lot and then never actually watched. So this gave me a really good excuse to actually, you know, watch it. Uh, and I'd actually really enjoyed uh, Richard Jewell. I, I, I like um, Eastwood's modern um, directing aesthetic that he's got at the moment, which is very minimalistic. There's virtually zero score in any of these films or anything like that. I kind of dig that about it. And it does give it um, that that almost, almost sort of television um, aesthetic towards it in terms of atmosphere, I think. Um, and... I, overall, I, I, I really, really, um, I found it quite a charming film, to be honest. Uh, it's, there's, I don't know whether it's script or it's Eastwood. I think there's maybe a, a misconception developed around Eastwood uh, that is a projection of what people think that he's like, rather than what he actually might be sort of like in terms of his, uh, his world outlook. Um and I think that a part of that can be taken from, I think people think that the character he played in Gran Torino is him. And it's it's kind of not. Um, but what it does is it's never it's never overtly showy. It's never it never gets too dramatic <laughs> with anything that's going on. It all remains very much in in one kind of lane, which is this guy who has accidentally become a drug mule and is accidentally really good at it because he is simply old uh, and quite quite charming and I, I like that aspect of it it doesn't it doesn't paint him as being um bitter or grumpy about the fact that uh he's you know he's what is the livelihood that he had and the life that he had um as as evaporated because of the change of the way the world works, he's still quite. He, he's quite. Um, he, he seems quite accepting of it, uh, and things don't seem to actually sort of get to him that much, which is I found again quite charming. But then, you know, it also deals with the fact that he's he's clearly got this other side of his life that he was very very bad at, and he admits it. Although I do think that that's not dealt with fantastically because while I was watching it I was going Jesus Christ his family needs to chill the fuck out the, 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 his daughter character particularly annoyed me um, throughout it uh, but yeah it, it definitely does have that almost that that the shield I would say um, aspect to it um, in the sense that it, it just kind of ticks along oh, happening a very a pace that you'd think that these things would just happen. He doesn't have a he nearly gets caught or anything like that. It just everything just kind of zips along at a nice pace. And then there's this whole kind of like unspoken sort of like sub story that he's just really really good with women, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I realised. I think you commented Ian um, on the on our group chat saying that you're really enjoying the fact that Clint Eastwood essentially cast him as this like ninety year old Lothario. <laughs> It's fucking baffling. <laughs> yeah, is what it, it is. is. It is. It is baffling because it doesn't warn you about it. It doesn't. It, you, you keep thinking that at some point Diane Weiss is going to say he's going to comment on, on the fact that he's womanizing or anything like that, but she doesn't. 
<laughs> at all. It doesn't even seem to be a thing. But he is just really good with women. And the thing is, if it was just the um, just the scene at the compound at Andy Garcia's house, um, then you could kind of go, oh, well, it's he's charming, and then Andy Garcia's bought him some prostitutes. But yeah. there's also the bit where he. He has the women at the or at the uh, motel with the the handler that he's been given, which you're looking at going. I mean, they could be uh, prostitutes, but they might not be. He might <laughs> just be really good at talking to women. Well, yeah, I mean that's it because the uh, the the kind of like the prologue, like the t- like the bit set in 2005. Mm. He's very very charming there. Yeah. And you know, it there's that bit where the, the VFW place reopens and he's dancing with the poker band singer. Yeah. And it's like, are they inferring she's gonna fuck him as well? But <laughs> it, it's and then there's also at the at the wedding of his um granddaughter, he's dancing with another very attractive woman. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just I it he kinda going, Fair enough. <laughs> Do you know what? Fine. He might just be really good at talking to women. <laughs> But it never seems like it, it, whether it's the sort of, you know, the women or the situation that he ends up in, it all seems kind of half like it's happening to him and he doesn't have much agency in anything. It's yeah. all a bit sort of like the women are coming to him, the drugs and the money are coming to him, the situation has landed on him um, and he's just dealing with it, like just rolling with it. There's a great, there's, there's a great moment where when he's, you know, when he's essentially he's helped out the the VA rec centre and he's gotten that, and then one of the guys makes a joke about you know, oh, if you can find an extra twenty five thousand, you can help repair the what is it? And Clint almost does this kind of like eyebrow raise of, hmm, I don't know where I, I could get I, that. I, I half expected that to cut to him watching like <laughs> yeah. someone ice skating. Yeah, and the thing is, I was watching it going, hang on a minute though. None of those people should be allowed on an ice rink. They all look like they are 10 years away from dying. Um, but then it's... Even the more sort of dramatic moments in it seem to just flow at this really, like, nice pace that kind of sits along. And it, it's... You, you keep expecting it to become, like, a, a more taut thriller. Um, like something... Um, like... like, like I'm just going to pick out um, Clint films. So like something like Unforgiven that becomes quite tart towards the end, but it doesn't. It's kind of skims along like something like Heartbreak Ridge does, where it's it, it's it has its dramatic moments, but it's also quite funny <laughs> throughout. Um, and I think that you kind of you're almost not expecting it to be funny, but then it has these. I won't even say dramatic punches, but it 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 has these like little little kind of like almost messages like thrown in, like the fact that his his business that he has that was thriving has gone under because the internet happened, and he just it, it's not something he ever really embraced, so it wasn't something he ever really expected, and there's almost a sense of you know has the internet been great for the for the world? Yes, of course it has for the large part. But then there was some industries that um, it affected where people who'd done it for years just weren't at the position where they could adapt. And they weren't at the age where they could adapt. So 
all these new companies came in and scooped everything up and you never really think about that um, to an extent, I think, which was quite good. And then the, the other scene was the, the guy getting pulled over who was terrified of it and basically saying, you know, statistically, this is the most dangerous five minutes of my life. And you watch it going, that's actually really a good point <laughs> to be made, that that must be quite terrifying. And these guys who are doing it don't realise how terrifying it must be for that guy. Um, but yeah, I I really enjoyed it. Um, him just going missing for five days and then the two um, Mexicans who, who, who find him basically end up just really sort of almost falling again for not his charms, but just the fact that he's a good guy when he says to them, look, I knew what the rules were. I didn't stick by them. So if you need to kill me, then fair enough, do it. And I, I, do you know what? Yeah, he's, he's, he was right to go to his wife's, his ex-wife's funeral. It's fine. He's a nice guy. <laughs> it's yeah. I had a really nice time with it. I watched it on a Sunday morning. Um, whilst uh, eating breakfast and i think that was like the one of the perfect times to, to watch this movie yeah i think i'd agree with that it's uh i mean it's like a little bit like you said there there's whether it's funny that i feel like there's a lightness to it it's mm. it's drama and there's an there's occasional moments of stress where it's like oh things have heightened a little bit who's that you know with the andy Gar- when he first meets andy garcia when he first rolls into the garage when you know when the the police are on his tail there are moments of of heightened tension but actually uh, whether it's tension through the crime stuff or through the family stuff there is a lightness to it and i think that simplicity of um eastwood's direction just lends itself to that it's just a sort of he's driving about in the car the sun's going down everything looks nice there's a big load of crime going on maybe he's going to get caught Maybe he's going to have sex with some prostitutes. Let's just go with it and see what see what happens. So there is, yeah, there's a light, there's a lightness to it, and a very simple story and a very simple filmmaking style uh, with it. And I just, I don't know, that chimes with me. But then there's the, there's the bit where it, it, he he kind of he diffuses the situation where the, the the state trooper is about to cause a bit of a scene yeah. with his two handlers. By just offering him some caramel corn, but not even <laughs> offering, just insisting that he takes these two big tubs of this. What is it? Yeah. And there's there's another line again. A scene that I that I thought was brilliant in the film was where you had um, the, the handler uh, Julio stood outside in the rain saying, "I'm going to kill him." And say, like, "Well, why? What's he done?" He's like, "He just he won't listen to me." He, he stopped off to visit a friend. <laughs> like, and the guy says, thing is, right, I need to ask this question though. Did he do the drop? Yes. And was it on time? Well, yes. Then you just need to keep him happy. That is now your job. <laughs> it was, it was, it was just great. And then, yeah, I had a lot of fun with it. I had a great time with it. What, what did, what did everyone else think of it? Um, I, I, I had a lot of fun with it. If I'm honest, if, if it was Bastards and we were reviewing it, I'd be giving it a Geostorm. That, um, you know, do you know what? I absolutely see that with it. It remarkably entertaining, but I'll, I'll be honest, I thought it was quite shonky at the same time. I, I, mm-hmm. and I suppose it's kind of interesting, but the fact that this is a guy 
doing some really fucking like reprehensible shit you know like at the last the last drop that he's got he's got over 300 kilos of cocaine in his fucking truck mm. and then not once does the film ever try and go hey you know what you're doing here is wrong yeah <laughs> like that at what like at the end it's the problem that the major problem that he has is that he basically took some unauthorized absence from his job um and, and then you know bradley cooper at the end it's like oh it was you fair play <laughs> yeah you, you know like you know that, that that's about it really and like at, you know that scene in the courtroom where he's just like guilty and the attorney's like what are you doing you know he's like well no he's guilty as fuck i don't i'm not gonna feel sorry for him in this situation but the film but to be fair the film then ends with him planting flowers in prison and looking like he's having the time of his life but then so, again, i don't think the film is trying to make you feel um uh, feel feel sorry for him at that point i think it's basically it's that 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 his his lawyer knows she can get him off by playing the age card and he's almost like, no, I knew what I was doing. I knew it was wrong. I got caught, so I should go to prison. Yeah, I, I, ju- I, ju- I just, I think it, it, it's interesting that the film never even tries to go, hey, what he's doing here is bad because he fell into it. I mean, the, that's the fucking, the first scene where he drives in with his shitty old truck. And they're like, right, where do you want me to cut it up so I can hide the stuff? And he's like, you're not cutting up my truck. Uh, uh, the idea, just the whole idea of just falling into it all. And it's only on like the second or third run that it's like, shit, there's a load of cocaine here. Oh, no. Yeah, the third but then, one it is. But then, I, I, I don't know, like the lack of morality there, I thought was interesting, but also... But you you are purposefully not addressing that because you want us to like this character in some way, you know. Uh, and I I don't know, just tonally, like him with with like the, the the women and Andy Garcia and partying and whatnot, great. And the the little sub story they try and do with like you should be your own man, Julio. You should dump this lot, which kind of go, goes to nothing but I, I like that they're at least trying something there but then you contrast that with in the last half hour or so a really unnerving death scene from Diane Weist which I don't know about anybody else I was like fuck me that looks like a pretty pretty good portrayal of someone dying in real time and I, I it, it, it yeah I, I thought it was all over the place but I, uh, God, I mean, like, I didn't actively hate it as I have with Eastwood films in the past, and uh, I watched it in the bath on my phone, and I had a good time. But it's shonky. I'd agree with that. Yeah, and I think it's what what Mark and know you've been talking about is like this sort of very light and breezy part Slight, of it, which I'd you've enjoyed. Say, yeah. Slight, yeah. yeah. And mm. I think that's probably one of the things that I, I didn't. I, I was, I was like where's the drama coming when is the drama coming and it just kept on going along and it just felt just to 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 breeze by without actually leaving a mark or whatever and it's i don't know as well it's like some scenes especially the opening it's like 
is Eastwood's style of shooting catching up with him? Because obviously he's this sort of infamous guy who's like one take and done. Whereas like Diane Weiss, I think in the first few scenes she's in is really bad. And like, you never ever really see Diane Weiss bad. I'm like, you don't get chance, especially when you're shooting like that to really build a character. And it's like when Bradley Cooper comes into it, the first three scenes he's in, I'd be surprised if either of them lasted more than a minute. Yeah. And it's like, who is this character? What is he doing? It's like, it's like the script seems to be like first draft. Now, like first draft, let's get the plot down and we can flesh out the characters later on. But Mm -hmm. that flesh out never happened. I'm like, I have no idea what, obviously Eastwood, what what attracted Bradley Cooper to this role because it's absolutely nothing. Like Lawrence Fishburne, what, what, what the hell is he doing in this movie? Because his, like, his agent got him third billing and a decent payday, I think. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it. And like even like we've got Cooper and Easter with the, the Waffle House scene. I, I want that scene to be suspenseful, mm. but it just does nothing and it adds nothing. It's like, and also <laughs> my, my one thing was that when the film starts, it's like, Clint Eastwood, how old he looked in that 2005 scene. That guy's not living until he's two thousand until 2017. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it 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 feels like a thriller made specifically to ensure that no one's heart rate will go above yeah. the above <laughs> average for over seventies. It's a pensioner's thriller. It's a thriller that will not let you hit play after nine p.m. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's it's the, the best. It's the best exotic marigold marigold cartel. No, the thing is, I can't disagree with you, George. You're absolutely right. I think it, it's that. Um, I think the extent of uh, of Eastwood's sparseness isn't just in the process of the filmmaking. It, it isn't just in the process of filmmaking. I think he his process seems to be. I've, I want to tell this. I found out about this story. I want to tell this story. I've written down this story. I've got some actors that owe me a favor to play this story. Let's film this story. We've filmed that story, and here it is. Yeah. And it's it doesn't go any deeper than that. But I think I think that's what warmed me to it a little bit because I didn't. I think it's one of it's one of those films that I wasn't expecting anything really, and it just sort of washed over me as a fun little crime film. Um, well, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. So, um, Mark, then uh, play it forward. Uh, yeah, I, I would actually. Yeah, because I think I think it's entertaining enough that I think most people will get at least something out of it. it, it, it it's yes. it's not it's not going to challenge anybody, but it's let's say it, it, you wouldn't want to wa- you wouldn't want to watch it on an, on, an, on an evening, but you could happily watch it. It's a good day movie. You like the 1980s, don't you? Of course you do, we all do. But have you ever wondered why that decade was the way it was? Have you ever wished there was somewhere you could go to get past the usual day-glow sentimentality? To try and understand 1980s pop culture in a more social, political and historical context? Because if so, it sounds to me like you're ready to go beyond the aesthetics, beyond the nostalgia. Welcome to Beyond the Neon. Beyond the Neon. 
Beyond the Neon is the podcast that dares to pull over the Testarossa, eject the Wham cassette, and take off the Wayfarers. If you're looking for retro reviews of Back to the Future, The Goonies, or John Hughes movies, you, you will not, not find, find that, that here. here. If you're looking for top 10 lists of A-Team episodes, Nintendo games, or Stranger Things references, you, you will, will not, not find, find that, that here. here. If you're looking for long, boring introductions, Squarespace ads, or Patreon begging, you, you will, will not, not find, find that, that here. here. Because Beyond the Neon, we do things a little differently. All archive episodes of Beyond the Neon are now available at wearepodsyndicate.com and cover everything from 1980s toys, movies and marketing to some of the controversies and moral panics of the decade. And in 2021, Beyond the Neon goes beyond podcasting and into the realm of video, with 10 special episodes covering some of the darker stories from each year of the 1980s. So subscribe to the podcast feed today and be first in line when the videos go live. So Jordan, you gifted Ian this time around. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what you picked and why? Yeah, so I mean, let's get to the reason why I picked it. Um, What feels like 20 years ago, but it was January of 2020, we all did uh, sort of a joint article on the Pod Syndicate website where we had these year promises that we were going to do ourselves these new year's resolutions and i believe that ian's was to watch more foreign language films am i right ian uh yeah i think it was like read more while watching a film is how i phrased it yeah 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 yeah. and for me it's like okay well if a game of foreign language film why not go with what is probably in the top five most acclaimed foreign language films of the 21st century. So I chose E.E., which is an Edward Yang movie. Now, Edward Yang worked from, like, the, the mid-'80s until he died. Well, E.E. is his final film, and he died in 2007. And he's an, an interesting filmmaker. He likes to um, try and really put across human emotion. And this one... It's probably his most accessible. Like it, it, it is three hours long, but he does have films like I rewatched just because I was about to watch a Ye, um, a Brighter Summer Day, uh, which is a four-hour film, um, set in the sixties of Taiwan. So yeah, he's a Taiwanese film filmmaker, and I just want to, I just wanted to see E and see if what he would get out of it really, because it's it's a bit of a subdued one um so i'm really looking forward to hearing what he has to say yeah it's um you know the reason why it's so long i think is because it, it it packs an awful lot in despite you know if you like if you were to read a like a synopsis there probably wouldn't be too much in there but i really was quite taken with how the some of the plot threads were like ebbing and flowing um for example very early on um the uh the father of the family uh is at a wedding and he gets out of a lift and bumps into an ex who um has moved to america and has has, has got married and there's obviously quite a lot of like tension between them and then i I, I mean like in in my mind's eye jord like that that kind of that thread doesn't really properly come back for like another hour 
Oh, probably uh, or at two. least yeah probably yeah <laughs> yeah but then when it does it comes back in a really big way and then mm. the film is basically almost all about that for like a solid half hour or so um and it's I, 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 the, the film i believe is like like a year in the life of this family essentially or something like that and it just covers loads of different topics within this family's life but they're, they're all I suppose rather mundane um but and I don't know that that sounds like the other word I'm thinking of is like ordinary and it's like that sounds like I'm damning the film with faint praise but I'm, I'm not though because it's very it's really engaging like that that whole subplot of him and his ex and how that resolves itself and like the last thing he says to her where it's like i've never loved anyone else Mm. and then um she uh, you know she disappears it's fucking it's fucking heartbreaking despite the fact that this guy is married his wife has fucked off because she needs to have like have some space from everyone um and then he's kind of like given this potential chance almost like at like sliding doors made real life of like being able to like have a life with someone he wasn't a he wasn't able to decades earlier and yeah like i say it that it it is heartbreaking and yeah I, i just i really thought that that section was great um also the, the like the fred with the kid and he just keeps on taking photos of the back of people's heads and it's like yeah. why why are you doing that and how that resolved i thought yeah. like that it's lovely. I, I, I know like loads of people are talking about the kid in um minari. minari at the moment and he is very very good but the young guy the young kid's performance in this i mean the two actual kids with uh, ngs kids had never acted before yeah um and Edward Yang sort of like just plucked them um, from a casting, but yeah, and their storylines. And what I kind of like is, it is the, the story of this family, and it is ordinary, and it can be quite depressing. But the way that he um, Edward Yang can thread, like he, he breaks you down, but he builds you back up. Yeah, like sure. it, it, it's not a, a depressing movie. No, it's no. just it's just life, um, and. and the, the tribulations that you do have, like um, NJ, that the father character, for me, as a performance of somebody who's sick at what he's doing, it's the best performance I've seen. Of, he just, just he's just lost his care for his work. He's lost his care for where he is. Um, and then even when he does meet that ex flame, it's not like he's gone there to have a, a fling. He not still not. has his honor and he still has his um, morality with him. And he just explains and has a bit of an outburst with him saying, this is why I didn't come and I didn't meet you 30 years ago. Mm. But yeah, it's like that that young kid is wonderful. And it's like it shows the family in different perspectives. And it just shows just how you always are nostalgic for your years before. So therefore, you're nostalgic for when you're a teenager and then when you're a teenager, you're nostalgic for being young. But life is just as hard for wherever you are. It's all to do with experience. and It's all to do with perspective. 
Um, and it's like the, the, I said, the, the young boy who is just constantly getting picked on by groups of older girls. Yeah. Uh, and it, it's both it's both funny but also tragic. Well, and his teacher as well. Like that yeah. teacher's fucking bell end. Uh, it, yeah, I, it's and I, I don't know, like that the, it's, the shot quite late on where he's by that pool and he just jumps in. Yeah. And like I was just, like, and then he just doesn't pop up again. I was thinking, fuck me, this is gonna end terribly terribly and then he's soaked in wet and he just walked into his house like you say with a smile on his face and then just like how did you get so wet and he doesn't say anything i mean it's kind of it's very natural to what a kid would do like i'd imagine lottie doing something quite similar to that to be honest um no yeah i mean it was um yeah, and I, I, the, the 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 dad's relationship with Mister Alter and how that kind of develops as well. It, it's it, it's just a film that you are very charmed by while you're watching it. And I think if I'd been able to watch it in one sitting, I think maybe it would have worked on me a bit more. I think it's um, I'd, I'd say it's telling that I watched the last hour and a half all in one go, and that was definitely my favorite of of the two halves of, of the film and I, I to be honest i think that's maybe not coincidental um i the the i suppose the stuff with the daughter and a friend and that guy piggy is that his name Fatty. um Fatty. um maybe not as not quite as into that but i think only because i was really really into everything else around it um you know you know that that would if that was the central relationship of any other film, it would still be really interesting. Um, yeah, no, I um, yeah, fair play, George. I, uh, I I I really quite liked it. Yeah, it's um, and I you know it was a recommendation from you, so I thought I would. You know, um, <laughs> it, I think it, it's it's one of those things where I, I do think he, he, Edward Yang creates these very engaging, very. Um, really internal stories but has a very passive style like there is a scene at a at a wedding right at the beginning is it the wedding or is it christian i can't remember but it's the, the groom who is um the brother-in-law of of Angie, the father character who is on a seat on, on a chair and it's just it's, it's, it maybe it lasts maybe 90 seconds and all he's doing is drinking and then just throws up over everyone yeah and it's just like the, the nice little bits of comedy in there yeah no uh absolutely and it, that cold kind of like locked off style which i'm assuming is a bit of a yang thing yeah uh, yeah I, I i thought i thought that was great it was just this is a slice of life i'm just going to show you it i'm not going to be uh particularly fancy with my camera movements or my lighting or anything like that i'm just going to get good performances and yeah that that's what he does i i yeah i'd be up for watching uh more of um more of his stuff well, to say on that, actually, like uh, only to um, looking on on YouTube is actually if you wanted E in HD with subtitles is on YouTube, and so is a brighter summer day. All oh, four wow. hours is just on YouTube. I don't think it's meant to be there, but if you if you didn't want to go see it, it's there. Has that got something to? I mean, presumably this is distri- Oh, it would be because it's you sent it on iTunes. This is. Oh. Distributed in the UK, isn't it? So, oh, no, me, me, me and Negan did something different. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, uh, so it, it, it's it's part of the Criterion collection, um, but it's a UK Criterion release. Um, 
so yeah we actually bought each other the blu-rays nice. <laughs> so, yeah yeah um which was which was very cool um so yeah it, it's actually not available on itunes i had a look earlier today um you know it's one of the other reasons why i've um uh, hard pivoted back to physical media um but yeah it's on i mean obviously it's on youtube like george says and if you have the criterion channel i believe the whole criterion edition is available on that as well mm. so it, it's 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 definitely viewable um no i know you didn't get to it mark did you i i didn't know i okay. i i, I, I was I, I tried to get to it, but it was just the more. The, I'll be honest. The moment that I had where I could watch it, I was very much like, I don't think I'm in the right frame of mind. <laughs> I watched the trailer and went, "There's a lot of kids in this. I could, I could just dislike this just based on just being a bit of a bastard." <laughs> no, that's that's a fair point. But I mean, the you know the runtime is intimidating, but it you know the the film itself is not. I would say it's ve- like very quietly epic but in a in a, in a very palatable way i'd say um it's, it's definitely a play it forward yeah yeah like a really hard agree play it forward excellent that's good um yeah worth mentioning as well the mule is on uh, amazon prime at the moment as well so that's yeah. our first two films are very available if anybody wants to go and check them out um all right, we'll move on from there back to uh, Mark and myself. So, Mark, you gifted me uh, this time around um, very cruelly over the uh, the Easter period. So do you want to talk through a little bit about what you gifted me and why? Um, well, the why is because I cheated a little bit. Uh, Noel has a list of films that he hasn't seen that he would like to see uh, on his letterbox. So what I did was I looked at that list and then picked out a few in my brain of went, right, well, that, that, and that, and that, and kind of aligned them with the sort of movies that I would pick for uh, people. Um, and then one of the ones that I picked was Last Temptation of Christ. And now a little light bulb went off in my head of where of when I'm sure we're recording this because we originally were going to record <laughs> we were, yeah. Good Friday. So I'm sure we're recording this on Good Friday. And so I, I messaged the group chat and went, are we recording this on Good Friday? I got a message back from um, Ian saying, yeah, it is, mate. And I was like, right, no, I am gifting you Last Temptation of Christ. Fucking brilliant. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> um, because I'm a heathen. Um, now, I, I, it's the thing is, with Last Temptation of Christ, I'm a, a huge Scorsese fan. Um, I think anyone who's listened to Two Bastards will know that straight away. Um, and it's, the thing is, it's there's there's balances between is is last Temptation of Christ a good film yes but is a large proportion of that because it is a really fucking interesting piece of work it's not a good film like goodfellas is a good film or like mean streets is a good film but it's it's the sheer oddity of this movie existing and it having the cast it has and having it be directed by the guy who directed it and then the whole controversy around the whole thing so i thought it's going to be an interesting watch at the very least because if you don't i think it's one of those films where if you've not seen it it's hard to explain the sheer weirdness of it all 
So you've kind of got to watch it. It is very much not a, oh, it's Martin Scorsese making a Jesus biopic. It very much isn't that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, it's it's worth saying as well, you know, it's on my list of, I think it's my, is it my Unseen Classics list? I think yeah. it's, yeah. So the reason it's on that list is, the point of that list is it's basically a, why the hell have, have I not gotten to these films list? Um, I'm a I'm a big fan of Martin Scorsese. I'm a big fan of controversial things and controversial films. Um, and so, it's, yeah, I'm also a big fan of religion in films, um, which is odd because I am not a big fan of religion necessarily. So, um, so yeah that's kind of the reasons for it being on there. But, you know, I do, like I say, I do enjoy um, religion in films. I grew up Roman Catholic and like many Roman Catholics before me, then spent many years in the depths of devout atheism as a result. Um, I think probably after those initial angry young years of, of atheism, I, I, I ended, I ended up being in a more sort of, emphatically agnostic sort of place but i'm still and have always been sort of quietly anti-religious so um so yeah but i find that um religion in films is just a really useful and interesting tool for um for drama for comedy very often uh for horror a lot of the time um so so that's kind of again builds up for the reasons that it's on my sort of films i want to see list um i probably nowadays i'm I'm a bit quieter about religion i'm not that pissed off about it like um i if there's one doctrine i've sort of literally subscribed to it's the the seven tenets of the satanic temple and their sort of common sense approach to humanity and choice and and campaigning against sort of religious injustice and and silliness but there's no real you know i don't really have that massive an opinion um about religion i just kind of let people get on with it um so yeah i don't know if it's because of all that that i find religion in film fascinating but as i say just in the context of a movie i just think the way it can be used is 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 fantastic um also worth mentioning as well that you know this is not a film that um in the same way as something like i don't know the omen that uses religion as a tool this is a translation of act an actual religious text so uh an adaptation if you like of of, of religious text so in that regard it's less like the omen or or, or the exorcist or, or something like that or um uh, i don't know doubt it, it's 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 this is very specifically a translation that's more along the lines of like mel gibson's the passion of the christ which again is a film that i really really liked and really really enjoyed for the reasons of it has high drama and it has high tensions and it doesn't really matter whether you believe in jesus or not it's difficult to get away from the the, the store the, the power of the story and the the power of the narrative that's in there um so yeah, I think like Mark says, it it is a it is a film that's got a lot of oddness in it, 
Uh, I feel like a lot of that oddness happens maybe in the first half of the film. I think the probably the second half of the film and the film overall do feel again a little bit like the Passion of the Christ to be this quite straightforward retelling or reinterpreting uh, of Jesus's final days and this you know this important section of the, the New Testament. So again, it's it's graphic, it's realistic, but it is a retelling or reimagining of that story. Um, I think within that alone, um, before you kind of look at it in the sort of uh, the context of controversy and, and how it might be viewed by uh, by Catholics, um, just within that context, I think there's a lot to appreciate. Um, it looks incredible. Yes, it does have some bizarre sort of dreamlike moments. I think overall, a lot of the film seems to exist in a sort of dreamy kind of state but then it's broken up with these moments of conversation between individuals that are very specific to you know belief and 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 what god wants and stuff like that which i think are fascinating um so yeah as i say again it's essentially the the stuff that impressed me and interested me the most is the the essentially you know showing a more realistic interpretation of a fictional character. So a bit like Chris Nolan's Batman begins maybe. Um, so, so yeah, um, again, I think similarly to uh, the passion of the Christ, I think that the Jesus in this is, is very much a man. He's, you know, he's not a God. Um, the, the struggle that he has is around his, his human fears, his human doubts and, the confusion that he has about his path, but then there's also this side of him that understands that that's kind of the way it should be. Um, so I think it's interesting when he moves past that and becomes more sort of certain about his path and more um, more not agreeable to, to his direction, but just more sort of in control of things and more direct with people about the way that they should live their lives that's sort of when the control and composure actually starts to slip away from him a little bit um i also quite enjoyed the fact that those around him um you know the disciples and and the extended sort of uh the extended disciples if you like all seem to exist in this perpetual state of panic and fear because you know they're only men and they can't possibly understand uh the bizarre plan of of god that has been laid out for this this person who's supposed to be there to you know to save uh to save the jews and 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 move everybody to a better place the fact that they spend so much of their time bickering about faith and belief and and what god wants is is really interesting uh and you you know seeing seeing jesus sort of rise above that a little bit and and where it takes him um so yeah, I think that's the more interesting stuff. I, obviously, I'm aware, more than aware that it was it was controversial. I think to to modernise, it's it's a bit difficult to see why really. I I think I don't think it would suffer the same problems had it been made today. I think it it would it would still court some controver- controversy. I think because <sighs> Catholics gonna Catholic, um, but. You know, I don't think it's it would be quite as bad. I think the controversial side of it only really comes later on in the post-crucifixion stuff. 
um the allowing of you know allowing jesus to have a full life and marry and have a child um but i mean again that's first of all that's just an alternative take on the backstory of a fictional character so like todd phillips's joker let's say um but you know ultimately that proves to not be the reality that's 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 a vision that's a dream so so again um the controversial elements around it um do sort of not disappear but they're not they don't affect the end result really i think one of the the more interesting um controversial elements if you like is 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 the the judah side of the story the fact that judas is kind of a close friend and then you see the possibility that his sort of apparent betrayal is some sort of act of compassion i guess that probably doesn't fit very well with the uh the catholic narrative um and you know ultimately the idea in that sort of dream sequence that jesus's story and and god's uh plan if you like is is kind of a failure of sorts and and the sort of suggestion that jesus was selfish or cowardly in not wanting to accept death and 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 be this sort of uh this icon for for the world uh or, or for, for christianity i should say um so yeah but as i say ultimately that isn't where the film ends um i will say uh it's not a film that i would watch again but i enjoyed it an awful lot and i think there's stuff in there that is there are scenes in there that i will definitely watch again one scene in particular which i'll probably watch many 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 times in the future and it's uh it's it's a scene where you know scorsese's kind of daring to take it in a certain place before revealing that you know this is a vision uh in the last act uh which is where saul comes back uh harry dean stanton's character um who has you know Saul has seen seen the light um, on the way to I forget what the name of the road is, um, but yeah, Saul has kind of seen the light and he's come back uh, and he's he's preaching to the world. I live this kind of lifestyle, and you know Jesus did this, and Jesus came back to save us all and and save you from your sins and all that type of stuff. Um, and Jesus is there and he calls him out and he says, "This didn't happen. I've you know I've I've lived my life and and the stuff that comes out of." harry dean stanton's mouth in that is basically a a complete summary of my entire feelings about religion just this idea Mm. that you know he's kind of saying the truth is sort of irrelevant it's the story that gives people hope and Mm. if i have to crucify and resurrect you in that story to give people hope i will do that because that's the right thing to do um, that, that that's the shit that it's brilliant that, yeah i mean it's amazing but that's the shit that must have really riled the the the, the religious folks who actually bothered to see the film yeah, like that, 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 that that's the key bit yeah, yeah I, it, like you know yes all right jesus lays down with mary and all that kind of stuff but you know that's revealed within the film within the film's world to be essentially a fantasy you know and he rejects that and he goes he goes back to god but that that conversation yes it's in the dream world but it's also well it makes you think but i can look at that i can separate my feelings about religion and look at that and go no this is a vision of the wrong path this is a vision of jesus not accepting his path and not accepting and taking the easy way out this is you know this is the old this is um part of that i think 
that whole idea of you know my version of the truth is what people need for comfort is is what holds me back these days on religion in conversation because i'm happy that you know i'm not going to tell anybody that they're wrong or right for having a faith in a god that i personally have no proof exists but at the same time the the, the other part that he sort of says about where you know um at the, at the point where sort of jesus is getting pissed off with him and he, and he says if you carry on telling lies about me i'll tell everybody that, that you're a liar and that you're wrong at which point he sort of says well go ahead tell them there was no resurrection because they're my followers and they'll kill you for saying that so that's the other side of religion where i'm like oh fucking hell yeah jesus that as well christ that's uh, that's 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 bad so you know it's it's got in that in that one section of dialogue you've got religion is good because it gives people hope but religion is bad because they will kill you for their beliefs if you don't go along with it so it's it's that that scene is magnificent it, it really is um and, and that's it. i think i mean the term that comes into me when i'm watching passion of christ is i just feel it, it's, it may sound very silly but it's, it's just so punk rock like it's scorsese yeah, no, sorry, um, Last Temptation right. of Christ. Okay. Um, it, it's Scorsese getting a lot out of himself, but but telling a story in a way that it's like like a way that it should have been told in a way. It's it's so interesting and like I am not religious in any way, but the story of Jesus is an incredible story as a narrative and as characters and you include and everything with the guilt and like just as character development it is a superb story but to see that told in such a way it, i mean you can see how it yeah you can see how it could have scared the the catholic church by just how raw it is and yeah the fact is like oh you're showing jesus as, as a man it's like well of course because that's what he was and i do believe that jesus as a as a man existed i don't believe that he, he did what all the uh, miracle stuff, but I do believe that there was a man, a preacher called Jesus, and he probably had the same sort of feelings and guilt as what's portrayed in this movie. But I think that that's the thing. I think, you know, from the perspective of someone who lives in the modern world, I can't see why you wouldn't want this enduring story contextualised in a yes. modern way and shown to be, you know, shown to people who are modern modern living people who may have their doubts show them the context here and go no this person made this choice and went down this path for you like that that's that's the whole point of of christianity so seeing it in that modern context and humanizing jesus that seems like a natural sensible thing to do to help can help you know continue your religion rather than the natural thing of and without getting too sort of you know uh, yeah, yeah, the natural thing of Christianity back away from being modern, and, and that's it. I think it's showing the you've you've got to show the the metaphor behind the stories and try and not take it as literal. I mean, that this is this is me talking about the film, but also um, on religion on a whole because there are people out there, priests, bishops, that do say like I don't believe in a hell. Mm. And religion is there for to, to give us a path. And well, very that's it. But very like, rarely, there's there's very yeah. rarely any religions that say they believe in hell. Like the Satanic Temple doesn't believe in hell. The, like yeah. the, the Church of Satan doesn't believe in in, in in hell. They don't believe in the devil. That's part of what 
is interesting about them they believe in humanity and the idea that you know you should live your life by being good to other people and yeah and that side of it so but but what's interesting to me is that i approach this film thinking you know separate my my feelings about religion i'm going to watch this film as a martin scorsese film about about this character that's how i go into the film and with with which isn't how i would normally watch this kind of thing it's it's how i watch the passion of the christ but after it i'm i'm kind of forced by martin scorsese to think about my uh, think about how i think about religion and, and all that type of thing and and bring that to you know i can't help but bring that along and that's the mark of the quality of the film and, and as i say as much as i like the passion of the christ it's sort of a sort of um it's a uh it's, it's a, a religious genre movie really you know um whereas this is saying a bit more i think and challenging ideas a little bit and not necessarily in an anti-christian way i think the balance is there but if you're not willing to look for that balance as i expect a lot of people who were upset about this uh, were then you know you're only going to take away from it the fact that jesus had sex with a prostitute in a dream <laughs> i might add but you know that's that's what it is that's it i mean a majority of the controversy that was surrounding it, it was was from people who didn't see it and who actively wouldn't see it yeah. and reacted to what they thought it was rather than what it actually actually was i mean even to the point where um like in the in the us blockbuster wouldn't um stock it Mm, you know, you, you couldn't have it in. You, you couldn't rent it in, in, in Blockbuster, and I think a couple of the other big chains of, of video rental stores wouldn't even stock it, just basically because they didn't want the shitstorm of of somebody noticing that they were stocking it. Not even for any kind of beliefs of against the film. It was just, oh, we don't need that map here. <laughs> well, I seem to remember reading years back as well that I think Blockbuster started out life. The company Blockbuster started out life as as um a video store that only stocked films that were intentionally sort of like uh family orientated and 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 non-offensive and they stocked films that had scenes removed that were that were offensive for families you know these sort of Mm -hmm. christian uh video stores that that existed in in america for many years where they literally cut bits out of films Mm -hmm. like blockbuster was tied in with all that shit for for many years in its early days i believe it just it's it, it it is a really like provocatively styled film isn't it i mean it, it's for all the i don't know it, it makes me laugh that you know you've had people on film twitter like every now and then especially when the irishman came out going like uh well scorsese only makes gangster films and whatnot it's like fucking one look at his imdb and that'll prove you wrong to watch the last temptation of christ and it, it, it's i yeah i i found it very 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 intense i'd seen it before but i didn't really remember much about it um and the the, the sound in it is mm. pretty fucking remarkable and i the i mean it was it, it's interesting the sequence that really got me was jesus in that circle and mm. the the visions he had um like just the the fucking idea of satan as like a flame with a kind of like a dual toned voice mm. like that's 
awesome and i really like the way that it actually says like you will see me we, we will meet again and then you completely forget about that and yeah. it's i mean it is is that when it's revealed that it, the, the guardian angel is satan yeah. is that a plot twist did, did, is that just obvious because i i could i i, I kind of started seeing where it was going but at first I, uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I, did that take you guys by surprise at all, or am I just being an idiot? One hundred percent took me by surprise, but those things usually do. So. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like I, I don't know. I just thought that was I, I it, it, that was great. Just him getting older and the world kind of going to shit around him. Mm. Um, In hindsight, it should have been really obvious, and I should have picked up on it the moment that he sort of opened his eyes and she was there. She's taken his pain away and she shows him, um, you know, the life or she offers him the life that he's kind of, he's dreaming for. At the moment. That is essentially the last temptation of Christ right there. That, mm. that, that is it. You know, uh, I think the, the, the narrative around this film was that, and this is how I understood it for years, was that this was a movie about how when Jesus was ready to die, he had sex with Mary Magdalene. That was the narrative around this film. But it's not. It, the, 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 the narrative around this film is this is the story of Jesus. This is what happened. But in his last moments, he had a moment of doubt and almost gave in to the devil with the promise of a human life and the opportunity to love. And then passed it up past you know uh, didn't take that so yeah i mean it, it's no surprise like it's no surprise that um a lot of the people who will have complained about this will will never have seen it and will have never in you know will have never given themselves the opportunity to to sort of see that um it's it's funny though because i don't think like i say I, I think there's some stuff in there there's some there's some stuff in there that it is um, controversial, and there is there are some choices in there that I think are really small choices as well that I think are really interesting. The idea that Jesus at the beginning is making crucifixes for the Jews mm. is really like I can imagine that being a um, a, a real pain <laughs> for 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 a, for a Catholic to, or a, Chris, a Christian to kind of swallow. Um, so little things like that, but then at the same time. Um, it feels like Scorsese is kind of being not careful, but I mean, even the opening crawl is is quite apolog- not apologetic, well, but it's kind of saying it's saying, look, this is just what might have been the case. <laughs> so it's quite, you know, that, it's quite that must have been added after. Yeah, it like, must the have been. controversy. It must have been. Yeah, um, I would be inter- I'd be really interested to know actually because it does feel like. Like I say, it almost feels apologetic. Um, but no, that's that's. I mean, it's not that stuff that I get the most out of with it. Anyway, I think the, um, you know, as someone who does, unfortunately, know the stories quite well and know the greatest hits quite well, uh, having been read them and having been made to read them many times, it is interesting to see a film by Scorsese sort of play the hits in a different way. You know the entering Jerusalem on a donkey, destroying the temple, just little moments of dialogue where you think he's going to say the line, like individual lines that you know from the Bible, but it's kind of the same, but not. Um, 
so it is interesting to see see them see a take on that but i think what's probably more interesting to me is the idea that you know that jesus the character in this is a person who is struggling with doubt and struggling with being human and the humans around him are all incapable of thinking godlike thoughts and so you know there is that sort of undercurrent of man's ignorance in it in, in the in a similar but obviously more serious way than something like life of brian where it's just people arguing about what they believe but, and what they the, what might be the thing that god wants but, but but it's so interesting to say that because even though it's like when jesus first he, saw, he, he takes his place and he starts to talk to people and when he when he does say hey, bless the meek and my mind just goes straight to life of brian and picturing everybody <laughs> the other red saying what, what, what's he saying What's he saying? Yeah. Even even though, to be fair, like the end of that scene where he's like, they're all like, kill the rich people, kill the rich people. And he's like, no, I said love. That's not a million miles away from something like that. <laughs> no, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> it is, yeah. Uh, but the sort of uh, what the fuck moments, I was not expecting David Bowie as Pontius Pilate. That really <laughs> came out of nowhere. <laughs> Hello. So you're Jesus. <laughs> that was weird. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, hundred percent, play it forward uh, and, to the and, right people. I think, um, and, it, and it basically ends with like the film burning up or something at the end. Yeah, yeah, which is yeah, great. That was that, that was an accident. Oh, really? That apparently, apparently, that was an accident, uh, and there was a, a fault in the camera, <laughs> uh. and so that, that it was just. And Scorsese was like, that feels just like serendipity. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. That's odd. Uh, but yeah, apparently, yeah, the, apparently the, the legend goes that that was an accident. <laughs> well, I do. I really like the ending as well. I like the fact that it brings it right back and sort of, you know, he accepts his path and it ends the way it ends. And I don't know if it being a vision or a dream softens the film because it sort of removes the controversial element, or if it just makes the whole thing make, make the story make so much more sense, which I think it ultimately it does. Um, but no, it's, it's a, it's a strong ending. I love a film with a strong ending. It's definitely got one. I, I do feel that it leaves enough of a question as well. Enough ambiguity around, you know, uh, did God make Jesus or did Jesus make his own God? Like it's, it's ambiguous enough. You know, there's no, there's no parting clouds and rays of light and stuff like that. This could be, um, largely just, uh, someone going insane really. (laughs) Couldn't it? Um, Mm. so yeah, it's, it's excellent. It's really, really good. I got a lot out of it. And, and I got a lot out of it and not the things that I thought I was going to get out of it. So, so yeah. Mulberry Boys, every Friday night On the show, you better know they keep it tight ETL is back and the J-Strom's in the zone Introduce the co-host, he doesn't do it alone PCZ 
is about to hold court You know he's on the headset, you can hear him snort Pop culture movies, TV shows and games Rotten Tomatoes reviews news and Blu-rays Foggy don't play around, he will bust a drop fast Welcome to the Entertainment Landfill Podcast The Jason and Steven Show It's the Jason and Steven Show What? The Jason and Steven Show It's the Jason and Steven Show Back to Ian and Jordan. So, Ian, you gifted Jordan. Do you want to talk us through what you picked and why? Yeah, so I picked for Jordan um, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, uh, which is on uh, UK iTunes, um, but it's also in a Masters of Cinema Blu-ray edition, which is uh, what I bought for Jordan and myself, actually. Um, So this is a film from the early 70s, directed by Peter Yates, who uh, directed Bullet um and it's uh robert mitchum uh in probably i i i think one of his best roles um along with uh uh peter boyle um and i'd seen this years ago like it was just like talked about on a podcast of being kind of like under seen and under heralded and i was it really... film junk by any chance it might well have been to be fair. Because that's what made me watch it originally as well. Yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I'd say it, I'd, I'd say it would have been then. Um, in in that case, um, yeah, and it's, I th- I think it's a really spare, like very oddly atmospheric bit of work with Mitchum just being the embodiment of like failed manhood uh and yeah i i i i thought jord would like it because he's also a failure of a man <laughs> and i thought that um he'd empathize but no i mean it, it's i think it straddles a line of commercial filmmaking while also I don't know. There's almost like a documentary feel about it, um, which I, I, I thought that George would vibe with. So um, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to um, hearing what you thought of this, bud. Yeah, and like you're talking about there, Robert Mitchum being sort of the failure of man, um, of like manhood, and, and I do like it. It's just his casting alone, I find interesting because you're taking one of the big stars of the 40s and the 50s of of, of when like post-war when men were men it's like it's like sort of the noir feel of the hard-boiled and then him trying to operate in the 70s and the idea of like these sorts of actors aren't the leading men anymore you've got your Nicholson's you've got your Hoffman's and just having him as a presence there i think is tell, saying a lot and he does give an absolutely incredible f- performance just his his voice he has that john wayne like drawl that just mm. really really drags you in and so you can listen to him read the phone book but and this is sort of talked about as one of those sort of a great 
um, 70s crime films, American crime films, and everything that I've read for them is like, yeah, it's American, American, American. However, whilst I was watching it, the only thing that was in my head was that before um, Peter Yates watched this, sorry, made this, he must have watched so much Jean-Pierre Melville, so much Jules de Sain, so much sure. um, Petri, because it has that European vibe to it, mm. especially European thriller vibe from from the costumes to the music to the to the stark colour palettes and just the way it actually tells its story and that sparse nature of it. It's it just lets the characters live within the film. And yeah, it oozes it oozes cool. Like the opening scene when you've got Robert Mitchum and oh still what's his name? Uh, Stephen Keats, who plays Jackie Brown, who's the, oh, the, yeah. the, the, the gun seller. And all Robert Mitchum is doing is telling a story about kind of how he became named Eddie Fingers Coil. And it, it, again, it just, it's when, when cinema can just be two people talking, but be, can be as engrossing as an action scene. And I really did. I mean, it is utterly my vibe so you, you did really get that right Ian and it's it's, it's just full of great moments and Peter Boyle um, in this he's so sort of mysterious and so blank faced with everything that when we actually do get to the end and I think I mean it's it's, it's, well, it's 40 years old, 50 years old so um, we can talk about it but the entire third act i just find so tragic and so sad and when you know what's happening and peter ball has taken him to the hockey game to get him drunk and not only seeing robert mitchum drunk because he obviously had his own demons with that in his personal life so like you you can see i don't know he actually seemed drunk whilst filming mm. what, 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 what we were saying so he actually may have been but yeah the sorrow and everything but everything is just so matter of fact like when they do get rid of him everything in the car when they're driving around and even the way it's shot where like there's no real lighting all you've got is the street lamps um intersecting with light and then you get the gunshot and like even the end the i just love how nonchalant it is yep. it isn't it's stylish, but it's not flashy. Does that make sense? Yeah, because I mean, like the, the 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 shot of him being kind of like dumped outside the bowling alley, where it's just that one locked off shot, and yeah, yeah and it, like you say, it's matter of fact. They're just like kind of almost like talking about like some you know anything else. It's just like, well, this is done now, moving on, you know. And like the very last scene of the film, where it's um the uh, the like the FBI or DEA or whatever he is agent and, um, and Peter Boyle's character. And it's just like, right. So this is just going to carry on then, you know, it's like, it's, it's weird how it's the story of a guy, but it's also quite a slice of life. Like I, I like the fact that there are large chunks of this film that Eddie Coyle is not in, you know, you've got that whole thing with, um, the gun runner, and the, uh, mm. the 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 Carrie Mulligan lookalike and the guy who um, are looking to buy the guns, like she very <laughs> yes. much reminded me of Mulligan in Inside Lewin Davis. It was what? like, 
I was going to bring that up, and the, the guy he was with was the spitting of Tom DeLonge in the first video from Blink-182. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, but I mean, like, that that whole section, and it, it, it brings up, a, like, a really interesting theme um, of, of the film, like, the power dynamics between sets of groups of people because generally the the film is like two people talking maybe sometimes three people talking but the the way it shifts like um the gun runner and eddie coyle is the one power dynamic where the gun runner is almost like deferential and it, it, it to eddie coyle and then the gun runner with the people who are, who are trying to buy from from him then he's or, or the, you know there's that one bit where he makes that guy go up the hill yeah like in the car and then he's the one with the power there and the and the way the these things shift i i, I think is is really really interesting and i must say as well I, like that european thriller uh, comment i thought was really interesting like the the bank robbery sequences mm. feel very much like that where it's all very precise it's very like coordinated and rehearsed and those masks as well like they're they're fucking genius like, oh, absolutely and just just the image of that and it's like since the european like i wouldn't have been surprised if alain delon would have turned up in this movie somewhere yeah. um it just it just had that vibe and like even you talk about the um the bank robberies and just how precise they are and you can see then films like this going on to influence people like michael mann mm-hmm. um and just how very like they're criminals but they're intelligent and they know exactly what they're doing how to do it and how to get away with it and generally they're very good at it i mean the first one just how just the way it's staged is it again it's not flashy but they they create suspense through it all and again it's wonderful movie oh great stuff so Um, yeah it's definitely definitely a play it forward for me it's a good disc as well. Um, I've recorded um, the audio for like a Blu-ray review video I'm going to put up on the Pod Syndicate channel at some point. Um, I just need to do the, the the video portion of it, but um, yeah, so that that will be on the YouTube at some point as well. But it's a really really good disc, and yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed it, man. Spot on. Excellent stuff. Um... I was just going to say we'll do some quick where does it sit between, but I guess it's kind of different for you two because you've got Blu-rays in your collection now. Is it easy to see where it sits between in your Blu-rays? I wouldn't be able to tell you, mate. Sorry, the downstairs. <laughs> right, fair enough. Um, Mark, uh, do you want to go on that? Can you easily? I'm just trying to access my Apple. Yeah, I've got my Apple in there. Uh, it's, uh, the Mule sits between Motherless Brooklyn um, and the Muppet Christmas Carol. Sweet. Hey. Uh, Last Temptation of Christ sits between Labyrinth and The Last Unicorn, <laughs> which is bang on. I'm happy with that. Okay. Uh, right. Uh, that's it then, I guess, then. That is our show. I'll just say then, if you do like this, go and check out our other shows on Pod Syndicate. 1980s pop culture documentary archive shows of adventures in VHS and Beyond the Neon with video to come. Uh, film and television chat with Chinstroke versus Punter and Entertainment Landfill. Movie debate and discussion with Film Bastards and his film, Her Movie. 
and also uh, the wildest and weird, uh, wildest and weirdest sequels around in the Iron Sequel. Uh, so you'll find all these shows and more over at WeArePodSyndicate.com or by following us on uh, at PodSyndicate on Twitter. Uh, Ian, Mark and Jordan will be back soon with another Play It Forward, so subscribe to this feed if you haven't already. Um, and there'll be other random shows coming, more from Mark and myself with Tales from the Tape Deck and... Uh, your Lord of the Rings shows still. Which one are you on with that? We got one more to go. Yeah, one more to go on those. So, um, so yeah, plenty of good stuff to check out there. So, uh, all that remains for me to say then is uh, goodbye for now. From from Play It Forward, I am leaving the podcast in very capable hands, and uh, good night from everyone else. Good night. Bye-bye. Good night. Uh,